Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Today is a special one for me because someone who has known me from the day I entered this lovely planet is here to join me. She is a film and television writer who is now an incredible author. Jane Martin is joining us on FML Talk today, and it's a wild one. We touch on it all. So sit back, grab a fucking cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on her Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. You guys, I'm so excited. Um, Jane has known me since I popped out onto this planet and has watched me grow up. She knew my father very well, is a dear, dear friend of my mother's, and she wrote this incredible book called The Daddy Chronicles. And I knew as soon as she sent it to me that I not only wanted to share the book with you all, but I wanted you to really get to know her, hear her story, and that it was a really interesting topic for her and I to dig into on the show. Because so many times the father figures in our lives play such a big role, whether that is in a positive light or a negative light. And Jane and I both have daddy issues, you can say, but they are very different, but they both manifested themselves in similar ways throughout our adult life, um, both with sex and with relationships. And we're going to talk about it all. So let's dive in to this episode of FML Talk. Jane Martin, welcome to FML Talk. (laughs) Thank you. Oh my God. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. So this is a special episode for me because I mean, you've literally known me since I was born. Since you popped out. Like the day. The day. Out of mom's vagina. Out of mom's vagina. Fresh to the world. (laughs) Right out of the oven, a head full of black hair. Oh my God, I love it. Black hair. (laughs) It was black. That's true. I mean, I've seen the baby pictures, but like, odd. I don't know. Odd. I don't know. Your dad, you're a natural blonde. I'm I'm not, but like, I'm like a light brunette. Well, babies, you know, they come come out with weird colors. Who knows? But you came out, you had this dark little hair. I love it. You were adorable. Um, And you also, you know, a lot of people have come on the show that know my mom in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, No one that's known my dad. So this is really cool in that sense. He was a good friend to me. Yeah. A very good friend. Yeah. And I only obviously knew him up until being a six-year-old little girl. I wish I would have gotten to know him as an adult because so many people that know him say how much I'm like him as far as like my sarcastic humor and like my boldness in different ways. He was hysterical and we used to, we loved to needle each other. We would do it all the time. And your mom would come in the room and say, will you stop fighting? (laughs) And we would just look at her like, you're not fighting. 
We're joking. This is, this is just how we relate to each other. Oh, I no, love he was that. he was a really really a great guy. Well, see, you lost your dad at the, around the same age. Well, no, your dad was there for you. He adored you. Yeah. And you. Know, you yeah, Sim- similar. I, you know, losing feeling, but different. Experience. Yeah, it's still abandonment. Oh, yeah. It's still like. Yeah. So why don't you take me back to your relationship with your dad when you were young? I have no memories. I have little flashes, you know, like acid flashbacks, mm-hmm. little flashes. Um, but I actually have no memory of my life before I was about six years old because they were divorced. They were, um, and they would try to reconcile. And so I would I would go to bed in San Francisco and wake up in Oregon and then wake up in Montana and then wake up someplace else. And then, and then of course it wouldn't work and we'd come back to San Francisco to my grandmother. And um, so he was in and out, but it, it must have made enough of impression on me you know, that I was always looking for him. I was always, always wondering when he was going to come back. Um, but he didn't. But they had been together for about 15 years. They met when she was 17 and he was 27. And when I was born, he was 42. Oh. So he hadn't signed on for this. He liked the gambling life, the drinking. He did drugs. And when my mom got pregnant with me, she you know, she came home. She couldn't be around that. Yeah. And then, you know, none of the reconciliations worked. So he, he just uh, really didn't sign on for that. And, yeah. and so I don't have memories of, of him. I have one picture of, of him kneeling down with me in a park and he's in a suit and he's holding on to me and I'm kind of squinting into the sun. He doesn't look particularly comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have the picture, yeah. And um, but that's it. I have, I have the only other memory I have of him is seeing him again when I was about fourteen, and he came back into my, our lives. My mom was divorced from my stepfather, and all the fantasies that I had built up around my father—he was, you know, he was Prince Charming. He was this. He was that. He was none of those things. Um, and he still didn't want me. <laughs> I still don't remember. I, I I never remember him hugging me, and um, but so he was in your life when you were younger. When I was a teenager, for a brief amount of time, okay. And he came back. He didn't come back to us. He didn't live with us, but he came back to the town where we lived. And it turns out he he was sick, and he basically came back because he wanted to die near my mother. Um, but no, he never really wanted to interact with me then either. So you and your, or your mother and your father were together for a while before you were born. Yeah, they were probably together for 15 years. And happy. And I'm assuming very happy. So, and, and then you were born. And then I, the interloper, uh, came along. So it really was like, in, in your eyes and in my eyes, just from hearing the story, that you were born and he, he was like, nope, this is a deal breaker. Nope, this is a deal breaker. That's fucking horrible to feel that way as a daughter. Yeah, because you go through life trying to be good enough. Just it, in every relationship, I'm just going to try to be good enough. If I'm good enough, then this person will love me. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. and and it's a it's a pattern of constantly going after emotionally unavailable men. Yeah. Very charismatic, very bigger than life. Not that he was, but he was in my mind. Right. And um but always emotionally unavailable. So yeah. there's there was nothing I, I could tap dance as fast as I could and it wasn't going to make any difference. Yeah. So that became the pattern. The pattern that you started attracting when you started dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can remember as far back as seventh grade having crushes on the popular boys and dreaming about them and mm. they never knew who I was, but it started a pattern. Yeah. Yeah. So when your dad came back, when you were in high school, what was that interaction with him like? We went to, I, I wrote about it in the book. We went to the place, I didn't know where we were going. And we went to this place where I was going to meet my father and I got all dressed up and, and it was just a shoe store and he was a shoe salesman and he, he didn't hug me. He didn't. I, I don't remember much about the interaction except that I, I wanted him to hug me, I, and he didn't. He, I just remember he went to my mother, and I was kind of along. And I don't have really many more memories from that time, except I think we saw him a couple of more times. I remember he used to let me borrow his car that I thought was so cool, but really he just wanted to get rid of me. So he could be with my mom. Um, so it's God, he that's sees like devastating. He's to... like this phantom, yeah, you know. And so I spent my life trying to get my father to love me through other men. But so it, it must have been so horrible to feel like, well, he still clearly wants to be around my mom, and he still clearly loves my mom. Uh huh. What's so wrong with me that he made me and doesn't want to be around me? You know, I we, we're all we're all wired with our shit, and God only knows how he was wired, or you know, because I didn't know him or his family. Um, you can't give what you don't have, and um, I I went to a, a psychic once, and and. The psychic, and I, I write about this in the book too, so I won't say too much about it, but the psychic said, oh, your dad is coming through. And I remember saying, well, tell him to go away. I don't need to hear from him. I'm, don't take up my time. I'm paying for this time. Go away. And, and the psychic said, no, he, he just wants you to know that he knows what he missed. Mm. And that was really sort of profound for me. And... um it kind of started me on a road to forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't, you know, the wounds were, were pretty hardwired there, but where I could, okay, I took a picture of him out of the trunk that my mother had had, and I put the picture up, and I put their wedding picture up, and I started to go, well, you know, he just didn't have it in him. Um, and I just started to, to forgive uh, but we, we talk a lot about forgiveness on this show and I did an episode all around forgiveness and people either really resonated with it or really pulled back from it because obviously you think about some of the horrible things that people do in our world mm-hmm. and you're like, they don't fucking deserve forgiveness. And yeah, 
Of course not. Like there's, there's people that do awful things. And I think what people miss is that the forgiveness isn't for the other person. No. Forgiveness is for you. It is. It's so that you can go on. And so I basically said, well, you know, he gave me life and I'm healthy and I'm strong and I'm smart and I'm accomplished. And a lot of, who knows what was in his genes. I, I must have something there that was good that he gave me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm grateful for how my life turned out. And he, you know, it, and he did miss a lot. So I could, you know, that's the adult in kind of intellectualizing, you know, the, the child inside is still saying, wait a minute. I'm still hurt. Yeah. I'm still hurting. So, you know, you go on and you do your forgiveness thing, but, uh, you know, uh, I've still got some issues down here. Yeah. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. And Um, and understandably so. I mean, that's a really painful thing. You know, my dad dropped out of a heart attack and that's awful and terrible, but he didn't choose to abandon me. He didn't choose to leave me. That's very different than having someone be like, no, I know you're here. I know you exist. I'm choosing not to be around you. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really heartbreaking. But even so, um, Gabrielle, as as a child, when you found your dad, you, you didn't, you can't, you know now that he didn't choose to leave right, you, but, your but all, all the six-year-old says is, yeah. daddy left. Yeah. You Dad know? abandoned me. Dad yeah. Left. And so yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's in there too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so when you started dating and bringing men into your life, they were all emotionally unavailable. Pretty much. Um, occasionally, what I call a cosmic fluke would occur. <laughs> and and I had a great boyfriend in high school who was in a band. And, and you know, we were together for, I, I don't know, eight or nine months or so. Eventually, he broke up with me and I obsessed over him for several years trying to get him back. Because he was emotionally unavailable. I had to have him. Right. You know? Yeah. I liked him even more now. <laughs> you know? Um, and then... Uh, the the first guy that I went to bed with was married. Mm. He was the guy you lost your virginity to. Mm-hmm. He Did was, you know he was married. 
Yes, I did. Ooh, Jane. I was 19 and he was... Oh my God, you're always 19. They're I'm always, always 19. 19. <laughs> I was 19 and he was... Um, God, he was at least 10 years older than I was. And, you know, he was a disc jockey and I worked at the station. And and, uh, and he, so he was somebody else's husband and somebody else's father. And... Um, emotionally. Emotionally. And actually unavailable. And actually unavailable. Yeah. But we did have, a, 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 you know, a reasonably long fling. And I did, you know, keep fantasizing about him leaving his wife, mm-hmm. um, which... Any of these would have been a disaster. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's how. And then uh, I think when I was around 23, another cosmic fluke. And I met a, a guy on a movie set who was the grip. I think they had grip. And, um, and he just, he loved me. And we ended up moving to L.A. together. And I started to sabotage the relationship almost immediately because it freaked me the hell out. Yeah. I How had, did you sabotage? What I were you doing? had, well, the first thing I did that I remember was that I told him, I mean, we, we had barely unpacked, and I remember telling him that I don't think I love you. So, it, you know, it was like, I just kept pulling back and pulling back. And of course, eventually he left. And why wouldn't he? But I had no, I had no frame of reference for a real intimate relationship like that. And it panicked me. It scared me. And through most of my life, whenever there was the possibility and a guy liked me, I could feel my heart just go, run away, run away. We don't know about this one. Um, you know, I was raised in a family of mostly women and strong women. And the men were, they were divorced, they were gone, they were dead, they were weak, whatever, they were gone. And um, so I didn't have a frame of reference of, really, of a relationship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kept, when, one of the things that, that I discovered as I was kind of doing some research on this um by the way, there was a really, really good show that Oprah did, and it's on YouTube, and it's on Fatherless Daughters. Mm. And I watched it, and I looked out in the audience, and they were all talking about things that that I could relate to. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a bunch of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember one of my birthdays, it was like just my close girlfriends. Um, there was, I think, four of us there, and we were, you know, having wine and waiting for my mom to bring dinner out because she wanted to do like an at-home birthday that year. And I looked around the table and I was like, "All of us have fucking daddy issues." And like everybody looked at each other, and we were like, "Yep, mine's dead. Yours is divorced. Yours is an asshole. Yours is a deadbeat." Like it was literally like all of us had attracted each other. And we're sitting there, and I was like, well, guess we know the uh, common denominator that brought everybody to party tonight. Yeah, so that became that became the pattern. And using sex to get love. It's, yeah. it's very, um, promiscuity is, is very common because, you, you know, when you're being held, you can, you can call that love. When I was growing up, women had, if you're going to have sex, you better be in love. That was, you know, that right. was sort of it. So you're sort of, so that was, wow, in my favor too. 
Um, so I attached love to every sexual involvement mm. um, and used sex to get what I thought or called love, yeah. at least for the moment. Uh, I so resonate uh, with that. And in the second book, The Ridiculous Misadventures, I have this revelation that I have been using sex to protect myself from being abandoned. So if I can use this as like a tool to get people to come close to me, mm -hmm. then I feel better about it, you know, and then I'm in control and then I can be the one yeah. to walk away. Yeah. Um, and I know that so many people that not only that have dad issues that like the, I think the sexual issues can stem from so many places, but I know it definitely does come from, you know, people that have had interesting pasts with their, with their fathers to really make it not as important as it should be. Mm -hmm. Like sex for me at least became less important. It was like, if I don't attach a, a really important meaning to this act that's supposed yeah. to be so sacred and so special, if I make it not that important, then I won't be as hurt. Ah, and I used it to attract love because maybe if I have sex with this guy, he'll love me. And mm. So that's... Yeah. And yeah. so do you think that your definition of love was toxic and wrong? Oh, yeah. You equated it with sex? Because obviously, like, you can get any fucking person to hop into bed with you for the most part. Like, that has nothing to do with them loving you. I know, but for them, yeah, but but I could I could create a whole fantasy relationship. Like a narrative. Yes, around it. Ah, like the narrative you created with your father. Yeah, yeah. There it is, yeah. ladies and, and gentlemen. And they were and they were almost always, you know, like like the rock star, the movie star, like the they were mostly really bigger than life kind of men, and yeah. there was there was like not going to happen, but uh, yeah. That's that's what I did. So you know, um, the the menopause was the best thing that ever happened to me <laughs> because your sex drive just tanked. <laughs> it just tanked, and um, I think you know I just have to imagine God looking down, going, "Oh shit, I can't watch this anymore." I just I got to send her an early menopause. I got to take that thing away. Oh my God, is, Jane, I cannot. <laughs> this is bad. Um, but yeah, but but when I kind of lost my sex drive. And really never made an effort to get it back because I stopped putting my energy so much into trying to get a man to love me. And I turned my energy kind of into creating a life that I would love mm. and being um, really not needing out that outside gratification. I really focused on stuff that I loved and I got horses. I always loved horses and I got, you know, my riding career took off and um, I, I turned it into, I guess you talk about self-love. Um, I just took the energy that I had been throwing out there and, and kept it and banked it. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, I was no longer so driven and so angst ridden and, yeah. It, it, that's that was when I hit my 40s and once I hit my 40s man life took off. Life became great and I re, I still regard unfortunately men as toxic. Mm. I don't trust them. Mm. I don't like to be around them. All men primarily until I get until I kind of get to know them. Wow. I love gay men. 
Game I, I mean, I love game. Who doesn't too? love game? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I don't, I don't trust them. And I, I'm not, a, I, I choose wow. not to be around them if I don't have to, or unless they're, you know, like, like husbands or friends or colleagues, yeah. workers, something like that, that I, that I know aren't going to come on to me and, you know, okay, put me so- in an uncomfortable position. Oh, wow. But I don't, honestly, I don't, I wasn't raised around men. They're not just a different gender. They're a whole different species to me. Mm. I just don't, I don't get it. I wish I'd been gay. God, why don't, why wasn't I gay? Because I I love, I feel like a lot of women wish that at one point or another. (laughs) I get, I get women. I understand us, but them. Well, so, okay. Do you think, because that doesn't come, that, that belief and, would you call it a fear uncomfortability yeah belief it's, it's that men are real, toxic and uncomfortable yeah and on that but I do I do have you know several good male friends you know that I know that I've known over time and have right. built up the trust in the, the relationship but my first my first impulse is going yeah but do you think that's because that's not because your dad wasn't there that's because of the the pattern of you going after the emotionally available men and them but being it starts emotionally with, unavailable. with not being able to trust men and I couldn't trust my father. Right, right. There was no trust there. Right. So I just started just, you know, I have real trust issues. Yeah. So let's talk, let's go back to the sex for a second. Um, <laughs> because you and I share something similar where that I've I've worked to get over um, in my recent adult years is that sex for me was always very performative. Yes. Yeah. Like it didn't matter if I was going to have an orgasm, yes. but I looked like a fucking porn star and everybody was really enjoying the situation except for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that had to do with the whole, if I bring someone mm-hmm. close and I, and I, you know, have this performative experience, then they will love me and in turn I will not be abandoned, which is so fucking like screwed up in the noggin. Let's just start with that. We know this is fucking twisted shit. It is. So many people go through this because so many people have read it in my book and have DM'd me and been like, bitch, you just changed my life. So I know so many people do it. So what was it for you that you always felt like it had to be performative? Well, it was was the same thing as, uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll tap dance as fast as I can. I'll do whatever I can to really get you off and get you hot. And you'll want me. You'll mm-hmm. want me. Of course, you'll want to come back. You'll want me. Right. And um, so that's, you know, it, it's, it's so, it is twisted. It's a cycle. It's so mixed up. Yeah. So obviously, I never wanted to fuck my father. Although, you know, the married guy was a father. But mm-hmm. it, it wasn't that. It was, it was just, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll wear the slinky, sexy lingerie. I'll wear the garter belt. I'll yeah. do all the, you know, kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah. God, my ex-husband really like left. If, if he left any imprint on me, it was like a fucked up sexual experience. Um, because he would want me to dress up in this like insane lingerie and he would go shop for it. And it was just like my lingerie collection by the end of my marriage was fucking insane. Um, And then on top of that, there were times because, you know, like I'm a dancer, I grew up as a dancer and like I can move and I, you know, part of being a dancer is you can dance sexy. Um, Mm -hmm. And he would 
want me to come home and would go to the ATM and get a hundred ones and want me to dance for him while he threw money at me. And at the time I'm like, Oh, this is like something that is like kind of, you know, sexy. Okay, sure. And now looking back on it, I'm like, fucking ew, dude. Yeah. Like, what were you ever doing for my pleasure? Let's start with that issue and then go on to the fact that like, you know, you wanted to make our home a strip club. You know, if both, if, if people are into that, then like, that's fine to each their own. Like I'm all here for some blindfolds and some handcuffs when, when appropriate, (laughs) but like it was a consistent thing that he wanted like all the time. And you look back on it and you're like, now the, the Tay, who's my boyfriend now is like, why are you going to fucking put lingerie on? It's just going to come off. Like, <laughs> let's just get in bed and let, let's start with you. And I'm like, oh, interesting switch of dynamic here. Yeah. It's like, you're enough. Yeah. You're enough. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you sat down to write this book, The Daddy Chronicles, mm-hmm. what were you expecting to write? And what ended up happening? Like, what's the different stuff that came up for you during this writing process? Well, I, I call it the accidental memoir because I, I did not think about it or, or plan or, it, that I was going to write it. But I knew that I wanted my next book to be a collection of linked stories. And I do a lot of workshops online, work with other writers. And uh, I did a workshop and there was this prompt and it was a photo of a woman kind of dressed in this sort of slinky dress and she's sort of passed out and there's a drink there and a cigarette in her hand in this chair and I looked at her and I thought you know I'm gonna run. I, I think she's waiting for her married lover who didn't come again who left her didn't show up mm-hmm. and so I wrote I wrote that story and I could relate to that but I thought well this is just fiction I'll just write this story and then I got um doing another workshop and the prompt was write, a, write about your first love I thought what's my f- well first everybody's first love is your, your daddy mm-hmm. well this story came to me about a baby in uh, a playpen in a living room with the guy who's her father and the baby's trying to get the attention and the father keeps turning the television up louder and louder mm-hmm. so I had these two stories and I thought well Oh my God, this, this woman who's waiting for her married lover, that was the baby. Mm. These are the same characters. Right. And they're me. Yep. Ding, ding, ding. I know. And then I remembered my grandmother had told me a story once. My grandmother hated my father about coming into the living room. I guess one time he was there, don't know where my mom was, and finding me in my playpen screaming, crying with a wet diaper. And he was just watching television. Oh my God. And, you know, it's a horrible story to hear, but what people don't realize is that you as that baby, whether or not you remember that memory or not, I'm sure you don't, your fucking cellular level does. Oh, yes. And that shit, that's trauma trapped in your body that has not gone anywhere. So even when you're like, you know, kumbaya fucking forgiveness as, you know, an adult woman, that little baby is inside of you going, bitch, the fucking television is still turned up to a hundred. Yeah. And I am in a wet fucking diaper and I'm not fucking happy about it. And that shit lives in you. It does. The body doesn't forget. So I had these two stories and I thought, oh my God, the connective tissue. And I remember saying to my friend, if I go down this road 
I'm not going to be able to turn back. And my friend, who's also a writer, said, go down the road. You've got to go down the road. Yeah. And I began to write the, the book and pick up my memory started when I was really about six. And each one, each, each story is really just a page. It's a scene. And, and, and I tried to capture my voice as my voice aged to about the age of, of 40. Um, and it just poured out. It was like the universe said, yeah, I've been waiting for you to get to this. Mm. And I wrote, the book wrote, pretty much wrote itself. It was, it was the first rough draft was done in a month. Yeah. And, um, and I had the structure. And then I, and what came up for me was a lot of fucking anger yeah. that I thought I had dealt with. And I was so surprised, and I found myself crying on some pages. And, you know, it was that, it was that child saying, yeah, yeah, I'm still hurt. You know, I know you're doing well. I know, uh, mazel tov, you made a great life for yourself. But yeah. I'm still in here hurting, yeah. you know? And so what I, what I realized is that, for me, healing is a lot about adapting and acceptance, it's not, you know, Jesus placing his hand on the head of a cripple and, Lord, I walk. Right. You know, that, that shit's always going to be in there. And sometimes it, it will be triggered. But I can look at it now and go, okay, that's an old tape. Or I can look at it now and kind of soothe the child inside me mm-hmm. and, um, and realize that there are things that I am never going to be able to have and do. I will never have a happy, loving, intimate relationship with a man. F- fortunately, I no longer want one, but <laughs> but yeah. there was a long time in my life, and I just have to go, okay, I didn't get that. You know, I really, a greater disappointment is that I didn't get a singing voice. <laughs> I, I always wanted to be a singer. I watch the Tonys, I see them on Broadway. I belt the tone, you know, but I'm tone deaf. <laughs> so really that's a greater disappointment. But I kind of will rationalize it. I'll go, okay, you didn't you didn't get a singing voice either. But you got this and you got this and look at what a great life you've made for yourself. And you're very, very happy. Now who knows if he had stayed in the picture what my life would have turned out to be. Maybe it would have been great. A lot of people have wonderful fathers and their life still turns out to be shit. Yeah. So Whatever he gave me through his sperm, um, I've got to take and be grateful for and know that this is what I got. I didn't get that. Everybody has their shit. And, you know, I've made a really happy life. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask, because you are best friends with my mother, Mm -hmm. who is a world healer. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I ever sat across from her and was like, because of what I've been through, all men are fucking toxic. Fuck them. I'm never getting, (laughs) I'm never going to have a fucking relationship ever again. She'd be like, bitch, sit down. We're going to do some work. Well, that's I can't imagine that you guys have not had massive discussions about this. Oh yeah, she knows who I am. Well, I know she knows who you are, but does she have like anything to say about the belief that is still there? No, she knows better than that. Oh my God, she's like she knows not to fucking ask me and try and heal me. She knows I'm I'm, I'm not going to change at this oh, point in my life. My God, Jane, nor do I want to. I mean, you know, this is this is who I who I became. 
I'm happy with who I became. I've got the baggage. It'll always be there. And, you know, it's like people are born without an arm, you know? They, they manage to have a, a good life. They adapt. They adjust. They don't grow an arm. So, um, you know, it's not a pity party. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I, I, I got what I got. Yeah. And, you know, and I made a life for myself. I took the pieces and I made a life for myself that's, you know, really terrific. Yeah. Can you look back on the, what did you call them? The cosmic... The cosmic flukes. The cosmic flukes. I can. Can you look back on those men and be like, oh, wow, he really did love me and he was a good person and a good guy? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God, the guy that I moved to L.A. with, he used to send me cards all the time. He'd leave little notes on our answering service because there were answering services back then. (laughs) And the women would giggle and say... Bob said, say he loves you. And, you know, I just, uh, I didn't know how to deal with that. He was lovely. We were together for about eight months. And and then he he really didn't like L.A. and he wanted, and he left. He asked me if I wanted to go with him. I'm sure he pretty much knew I would say no. Um, But, yeah, I I, I tried my best to be June Cleaver, to be all the, you know, the moms I'm seeing, you know, I could get dinner on the time, I could do this, I do that or the other. Um, that's but I just didn't were. know, I didn't know how to do it. No, and I, that's not who you were. I, and I, you know, my mother had a very toxic relationship with my stepfather and there was a lot of fighting and a lot of, you know, demands made on him that, it shouldn't have been, and I was very disrespectful to him, and that was a horrible relationship. He was a very good, kind, loving man, and he adored my mother. But, you know, my mother uh, couldn't make that work. She was always still in love with my father, mm-hmm. I think. And she married him to try to give me a home. Right. So so when they broke up, I, I, I carried that one too. Yeah. Ah, yeah. You've had a lot of... I got to carry that one. You did it for me. A Girl, lot okay. of, of traumas and all centered around men. All centered around men. Yeah. So after the anger came up in the book, once you finished it and you look at it now, how is... What, what do you feel like you've gained from it? Well, I... A lot of scenes and memories came up that I I had forgotten, but once I started to write, they surfaced. And I think I just have been able to, like, put him sort of to rest, kind of soothe the child enough. Um, And I I, I can look at the stuff that came up and just go, yeah, it happened but it doesn't need to run my life. Mm, yeah. And you know, I do forgive him. I do know that he he had addiction problems. He had it, all the shit that he had, and he just didn't have it to give. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I can I can stand back and kind of look at it from a distance and and not dwell on it. But I I felt like when I started reading about all the other women who had had similar experiences, because I had thought, well, why would I write this? Who would care about my experience? And then So many people. <laughs> and then to realize that so many people had 
the same uh, the same things happen to them, the same issues. And um, you know, I really I really recommend the uh, the Oprah YouTube show on fatherless daughters. Yeah, because I, I want to check I, that out. I looked at listen to all those women in the audience and pour out what the kind of performances they did for men to make right. them love men. Right. So many similar things. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I'll write it and I'll put it out there. And um, th- at least I've, I've done it. I've got it out of my body where I can, on paper, where I can look at it and it's not as scary anymore. Yeah. You know? I love that. So, and it's available for pre-order now. Just very it's exciting. It's available for pre-order now. From and where can people find that? Amazon. Uh, you can go to the publisher, Whiskey Tit. Isn't that great? Shut up. That's my publisher. Wait, that's. <laughs> I'm I'm so not about the publishing life. I'm a self-publisher girl. But if I was ever going to go with one, it would be Whiskey Tit. Whiskey Tit books. <laughs> uh, so you can go to their website, but really, or any indie that you want to go to yeah um, and we'll put, we'll post it on our social media yeah too. so so yeah it is available it's, and it's a beautiful beautiful book thanks so the, the cover i found yeah. that picture of me as a little girl in my mom's old album i must have been seven years old and i'm just holding my dress out and i thought why didn't daddy love her she was really mm. cute but she, so yeah that's that's the cover yeah and i think what i've taken away from hearing your story and your in this episode is like, yeah, why didn't daddy love her? But you now love her. I and love that's her. That's such a fucking gift. I love her. And I don't, you know, I don't ignore her. If she, if she's coming up hurting and I can feel that I'll, you know, I'll honor that. Yeah. And, you know, say you're all right. You're okay. Yeah. It all turned out okay. Yeah. And it, and it did. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my life now for anything. I love that. So, um, Oh my God, everybody go pick up a copy of The Daddy Chronicles. Jane, thank you so much for being thank here. This you. was wildly this special was for wonderful. me. Wonderful. Super Yay. fun. Super fun. Love you. Love you, <laughs> baby girl. Yay. <laughs> I want to thank Jane so much for coming on and talking about all the things with me. And I want to remind you guys that are watching this obviously, you've seen me go through hell, heartbreak, and all the fucking bullshit that life has thrown at me. And Jane has been through her own version of The Ringer. And we ended up in very different ends of the spectrum, you know, with the way that she now views men and wants to keep them at a distance and is happy and thriving by herself. And I love that. I do want you guys to know that there is a different side of that. I found my person, I fully believe that there are amazing and incredible men out there. We have had so many on this show this season. So I really hope that you can see that there are so many different avenues that you can thrive in this life. Before we close out today, I want to read you guys a little excerpt of Jane's book, The Daddy Chronicles, because I think it is so special, and I really encourage you guys to go out and grab a copy. This excerpt is titled, And Then He Is Gone. When Daddy leaves us for the last time, he wears a blue pinstriped suit with a freshly pressed handkerchief in his chest pocket, a fedora hat, and black oxfords that shine like new pennies. Tall, oh so handsome, he looks just like one of those movie stars that smile out from the covers of magazines mommy keeps on her vanity. 
My small hands press against the window. I draw a heart with my finger in the circle of my breath as I watch him carry his suitcase across the busy city street, growing smaller with each step he takes away from us. The bell of a cable car rings out as it passes by, and then he is gone, never having turned, never seeing me still waving long after he disappears. My heart melts and slides down the glass. For weeks after that, I still ask, when is daddy coming home? He had left us before, left and came back, left and came back. Upon each return, I would run into his arms, his embrace short and stiff, but enough for me to breathe in his scent, cloves and pine, capturing it in my memory like a firefly in a mason jar. You knew he wasn't a family man when you married him, my grandmother says to my mother. But she is looking at me, and though I didn't know what family man means, I see mommy turn her head to hide her tears. When daddy comes back, I'll be such a good girl. Such a good girl, I say. My tummy starts to hurt, and I crawl up into daddy's chair, my bare legs sticking to the leather, my tiny bottom trying to fill the space left by his, and wonder what I could have done to make him stay. Oh, I bet that hit home for a lot of you guys. Um, this book is filled with really powerful, really incredible stories, and I urge you to go pick up a copy and see what it brings up in you and the different ways that it can help you heal any of those old daddy issues that we've got going on. Next week, you guys, I have been excited to release this episode since we recorded it. J.D. McCabe is joining us to give us a little insight on the crazy women in the world. And this story, y'all, is one for lifetime. I mean, my jaw was on the floor <laughs> the entire time we were shooting this episode and I was hearing this story. Um, he wrote an incredible book about his experience, but the story itself doesn't seem real. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast for all the behind the scenes goodies and the fun giveaways that we have. If you need more FML content, you can join us on patreon.com slash FML Talk. There are multiple seasons of mini bonus episodes where all the tea ends up. You also get access to the private Facebook group and 10% off all of your merch. You can watch the episodes live in studio this season on youtube.com slash FML Talk. I will see you guys next week. And as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.